Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Today is Tuesday, December 7th, 2010, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is attorney Malini Mbayana. She's a returning guest. She is a practitioner of family law and domestic relations in the Chicagoland area. Attorney Bayana earned her law degree from Chicago Kent College of Law, who also awarded her with the Cali Award for Excellent in Advanced Research Writing and Criminal Procedure. Attorney Bayana is a member of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals and is a fellow and co-chair of the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois. Serving on several additional professional committees with various organizations, Attorney Malini Bayana is recognized leader for reform. Her current efforts with the Lotus Rising Foundation concern creative pathways to transcend oppression and violence in domestic relations matters. We do have a great show for you this afternoon. We always take our callers' questions either by email directly at nick at alrpra.com. Please put Law Talk Radio in the subject line or please call in by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and pressing option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number again is 917 917- 889-9732 and please press option 1 for the caller queue. We have a couple quick announcements to uh dispense before we get moving today. Um let me bring in some of our We have also several callers uh on the line so we will um get to our callers shortly. By way of announcements before we start, we want to let you know that the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois on January 25th, 2011 from 2 to 5 with a reception following from 5 to 6 uh, will particip- will be holding an MCLE seminar at the Chicago Bar Association located at 321 Plymouth Court, Chicago, Illinois. More information available at chicagobar.org. Presentation is entitled Collaborative Law, Expanding Your Practice Within This Limited Scope Model. The seminar will cover the history, mechanics, ethics, and the shift in communication style needed to practice in this new and developing area of conflict resolution. Discussions will cover the application of the collaborative practice model in family law and non-family law cases and the necessary steps practitioners must take to retool their practices to provide collaborative practice options to their clients. Our second announcement today is that ALRPRA announced on Monday, November 15th, that this coming January 5th, 2011, classes are starting at the Law Practice Management School. This weekly online practice management education program covers management, marketing, technology, and finance. For more information or to apply, please contact ALRPRA.com for more information. You can submit an email through ALRPRA.com forward slash contacts, or contact me directly at nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com. By way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests among guests and callers on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client or other professional relationship. If you have any other questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. Finally, all of our callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. By way of brief description, before we say hello to our guest, Malini Bayana, I will read this from directly from our media release that's been sent to um, many media professionals, not only here in the U.S., but abroad as well in India. Um, the press release reads that Naxalite Maoist terror threats 
alarm mother of nine-year-old son, while scandal shakes ex-husband Vikram Akula's leverage in case of custody and abduction of the nine-year-old son while litigated in India and the United States. Journalists in India frequently report on recently related suicides, homicides, and corrupt lending practices, the coercion collective methods of SKS microfinance and other microfinance institutions, with a resultant steady and sharp decline in the share price of SKS microfinance stock, and Malani Bayana has documented proof of reports of physical and psychological abuse, intimidation, and terrorism exacted towards her son since he's been in the possession and care of his father, Vikram Akula. Today's broadcast topics, we are first will discuss our direct appeal for media coverage to gain support in this issue. Secondly, in our second segment, we'll follow up with brief case history. Third, we will uh, talk about more victims as more victims comes forward, um, what some efforts have been. And finally, we'll round out our show by letting you know what you can do to help. So, without further ado, I'd like to announce uh, my distinguished guest attorney, uh, Chicago attorney, Malini Bayana. Malini, how are you today? Hi, Nick. It's so wonderful to be on your show again, as always, and I do want to express my gratitude and appreciation for your commitment to this cause um, with respect to international child abduction issues that that are it's really affecting um, countless parents and children out there. So thank you. Malini, I will jump in there and tell you that when I had worked in family law in, in past years, uh, most of the work that we saw were uh, litigation over the turnover of a passport. Uh, very few things that I saw ever gave ever came near uh, to the difficulties that you've experienced in your case. So uh, it's my pleasure and my honor to have you and your other guests and callers on this show so that we may give you an opportunity to tell your story in, in a way that we can appeal to media and people can click and listen and share this using social media. So please do go ahead. Yes, and I, I do want to stress uh, the reason that I am going so public on the level that I am locally, nationally, and internationally is truly in the in the uh, public's interest, in addition to obviously um, helping to bring my son home. I unfortunately and regretfully have been receiving calls from all over the world, all over the nation, with uh, from parents, from lawyers, uh, from even judges, who are very concerned about the outcome of my case, both here in Illinois as well as in India, because of the case law precedent um, that it would establish that would, again, affect parents and children and quite possibly open up a Pandora's box. And, and um, if, if judgments go against me, really we're going to see a situation where I believe a child abduction is going to increase. Can you talk a little bit about the decision that's pending um, to the extent that uh – that you can talk about it. What a, for those of, who are, are, are new to this issue, um, what's the problem right now? Well, in Illinois, again, um, our case is pending before the Supreme Court of Illinois at the moment. We have filed a petition for leave to appeal, so um, hoping that our, our case will be heard and reviewed. The Illinois Appellate Court, based on the facts and circumstances of my case, and, and again, I will stress that uh, in the decision my opinion and those of, of other lawyers um, is that the not only were the facts misrepresented or, or material facts omitted, um, but that the reasoning um, was quite flawed, the legal reasoning in, in the conclusion that the bench um, came to. 
and essentially they have abdicated jurisdiction of my case and my son's case to India, non-hate convention country, um, based on their belief that given that I was in India, albeit on a temporary and trial basis, for a period of, of less than 60 days, um, non-continuous, and my, my son and I had returned uh, for a week in September, that they that gave rise to jurisdiction, um, contrary to UCCJEA requirements that a child must reside in a foreign state or foreign jurisdiction for a minimum of six months prior to that foreign state or jurisdiction being able to assert um, uh, authority over any child custody matters. So the concern there is that other states may rely on the Illinois decision as persuasive in their jurisdiction to argue very similar things. So you're worried about a, a larger impact. Exactly. Well, and, and remember, it's it's currently binding authority in Illinois, not not on me because we have appealed the decision, but to other litigants. Um, and again, it is also persuasive authority uh, for for other states in our nation. And it really could set up a situation where parents who are aware of this decision and are, are intent on um, removing the children from this jurisdiction and, and permanently uh, residing somewhere else may lure the custodial parent or their wife or husband out of the state for a temporary period, um, You know, may, may enter into a, a temporary lease, even an extended stay motel in another state. Uh, or hotel in, in another country and and turn around and uh, file papers for either a change of custody or um, or initial custody where illinois or or the home state of the original home state of the child would have been the proper jurisdiction otherwise quickly, let's, the proper jurisdiction quickly if we could please talk about what's going on in the courts in in india uh that your ex husband did uh get temporary custody in India is that correct? Correct, and this um, the situation here. Actually, I, I believe there we have a number of callers who can um, who have faced a similar uh, situation or are currently facing a similar situation. My ex-husband, on October twelfth, two thousand ten, obtained ex parte orders in the family court of Hyderabad for temporary guardianship of my son um, and some restraining orders against me from disturbing the custody of my son. And he did so while I was out of the country after an email demand for his return as per my custodial authority and rights. I've had custody of my son since, um, actually temporary custody since the fall of 2001 and then sole custody since December 2002, at which time our divorce was finalized. This was reaffirmed in August 2005 during a best interest of the child evaluation when uh, my ex-husband um, last minute disclosed to us that he was relocating to India. And custody has never been disturbed in the U.S. We had pending proceedings here on child support, etc. Now, your son but, was born in the U.S., is that correct? That's correct. He's a U.S.-born citizen. And you had custody of him in the U.S. The whole for how long? Exactly. Um, since you know, again, temporary and then full custody uh, since the fall of 2001. 
Okay, quickly before we go into more details of the case, let's talk about just for the benefit of any uh, media individuals who are uh, listening to the broadcast or uh, have been shared with this broadcast after the fact, um, can we talk a little bit about the direct appeal to media, when you chose to first work with media, and how you believe media can help you both here in the U.S. and abroad in India? Yes, Nick. In fact, the media had contacted me since October um, when the situation first presented itself, and and, uh, specifically Burke Constable of the Daily Herald, um, who was very eager to uh, write the story about my son, who at the time we were residing in Hoffman Estates. Um, I put the media off for a very long time because I was, uh, for several reasons, one, I I wasn't sure that it would be in the best interest of my son to uh, air our dirty laundry out in public where his friends, family, colleagues, even strange, you know, my colleagues or people that he would associate with uh, either in the U.S. or in India would would hear about what was going on and, and he would be subjected to questions or, or judgments based on that. Um, the second reason was because of the fear of backlash from my ex-husband, his family, or company if I were to truly expose uh, the, the long history of um, corruption, criminal behaviors, coercive tactics, this is the second time my son has been abducted um, with a direct link to my ex-husband's business interests. And he was abducted in Chicago uh, in Columbus Day 2001. And, and interestingly, um, the second abduction was over Columbus Day 2009 with a, a hauntingly similar plot and plan, again, directly related to his business interests. Can you talk a little bit more about those business interests? Why is it in his best interest to have your son there? In India right now? Um, Because when the initial public offering was being planned, and again, I I learned all of this much later. I I don't know much about IPOs and and stocks in the business world. my ex-husband would have had to disclose in the initial red herring prospectus any pending litigation or uh, convictions, criminal convictions, um, contempt proceedings against him as a director and or promoter of the IPO. So obtaining custody of my son um, would erase the history and, and the black marks of him initially having lost custody me securing sole custody. There was a domestic battery conviction in um, 2004 that he had tried to appeal uh, on, on many occasions and in very different routes, a direct appeal as well as a, a, a trial, a post-conviction um, relief petition submitted to the trial court unsuccessfully with the convictions being affirmed. So uh, he then wanted to file for executive clemency, for executive clemency and the uh, the abduction, the papers filed in the family court occurred on October 12th and two days later, two days later he turned around and filed um, his petition for executive clemency with the governor of Illinois. So he basically, in order to make his IPO more attractive, <laughs> um, he wanted to demonstrate to the world that he is actually the fit and proper parent um, and that, you know, he made all sorts of allegations about my instability uh, in his petitions, 
all false allegations, um, both in the U.S. and in, in India, uh, again, to erase the, the black marks and everything that he would have mm-hmm. had to disclose. I understand. Now, also recently, there, and this case has uh, attracted much attention in the media in India as um, the problems with the SKS microfinance and other microfinanciers have hit the public's attention with kidnappings, uh, suicides, stock prices falling, CEOs of, of the company getting uh, terminated and sacked. Um, you now are... are Tell us a little bit more about how you believe the media can help you with your fight right now, based on that. Sure. And and again, I want to um, mention and make very clear that the reason right now that I am I am going public and, and telling my story and the entire history of my personal and professional relationship with my ex-husband um, is directly related to my learning uh, when I returned from India of these suicides. Um, homicides, coercive lending practices of not only SKF microfinance but the industry in general. And I, I want to clarify the homicides, um, they aren't, from what I understand, uh, direct homicides by the collectors. What's happening is that um, parents are, are even killing their own children. There was a story of a woman who couldn't pay back her debt and she, um, it, out of desperation and just feeling like she was helpless and hopeless, threw her two children down a well um, before jumping in it herself. Uh, and it was um, directly linked to her inability to pay back a loan. Well, Melanie, why should she, if she can't pay back the loan, why would she kill herself? Can you explain why this is a more serious matter? Sure. Um, what's happening basically is, from, from my understanding, um, from women's organizations and all of the media coverage on this, is that there are two things. One, there's a peer lending model um, where among any group in a village, if one of the members does not pay back a loan, then they, the, the entire group um, loses their ability for future loans. I see. And so that, you know, there's, there's peer pressure. Um, from what I understand, there are civil wars going on within some of these villages and communities where even even the women are threatening each other. Um, and so that's creating a lot of distress. The the collectors are coming in. Um, apparently, SKS Microfinance and other microfinance organizations carry group life insurance, and suicide is covered. And again, my understanding is that these collectors are going in, kind of reminding them, um, well, if you know, if, if one of your family members should should die uh, in whatever manner, um, you can collect on this insurance. And so there's so, financial motivation there. Exactly. And there was one media article that um, talked about some – the SKS Microfinance is under investigation, and apparently there's been some uh, question about the fact that the the, the – Commission rates that are allowable um, are being charged at higher than 10%, and apparently SKS had directly received checks rather than the um, the death benefit checks rather than going to the beneficiary. So it's really um, it's, it's it's a very scary situation. 
Um, there can we talk a- about Tim? I'm sorry to uh, we we do have to pause for our break soon. Can we uh, just uh, ramp up quickly and talk about the terror threats that caused you to make the decision to uh, increase your plea for public support? Tell us about the terror threats. Yes. So what's happening is, in light of these suicides, homicides, um, coercive and oppressive lending practices, and collection practices, the Naxalites and the Maoists um, are targeting my ex-husband as well as his maternal uncle, who's a sitting member of parliament in the Congress party, the ruling party, as being responsible um, in terms of their business model, their business practices for the, the situation that's occurring among you know those that are living in abject poverty and feel that they are looting and pillaging the poor um, with irreparable damage. I mean, you can't buy back a life. Uh, there's there's no amount of monetary damages. And you believe so, that your son is directly in harm's way? Absolutely. Uh, he is not only a target for these Naxalites in terms of, you know, kidnapping himself or or some sort of grievous bodily harm or death or being caught in the crossfire uh, and or witnessing something occurring to his father or his his father's uncle, he he cannot be protected at all times. Um, These naturalites have underground operations, and they know how to get around security and police. So I learned of this over Thanksgiving, and I have been beside myself on the phone with the U.S. State Department, on the phone with women's organizations, advocacy groups, my lawyers, figuring out how I can get him immediately home back to the U.S. I've even said to everybody, even pending the custody case, put him in foster care. I don't know. Get him back on U.S. soil where he's out of harm's way. Melanie Bayana, thank you so much for telling us that that brief story. We'll be back uh, after our first break with some of our callers who uh, will callers you do all remain confidential and we'll take you one by one and let you tell your stories as that relate to this current situation. Again, anyone who is just recently tuning in, you're listening to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and we're thinking a bit about marketing law, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the like button on the law firm's business page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Our second sponsor message comes from the Lawyer Market. The Lawyer Market is a website that is one of the best-kept secrets for solos and small firms trying to market their practice. You can join the Lawyer Market for free, and the online marketplace will actually send you the name and contact information of customers who are interested in hiring you for your legal services. The Lawyer Marketplace offers a win-win solution to its listed attorneys and potential clients searching for their services. Please visit thelawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers for more information. The website, again, is www.thelawyermarket.com lawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers. Now back to our program. We encourage our listeners to call in to our telephone number 917-889-9732. In the event that the lines are full, you can always call uh, and send us a message 
at Nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com. Again, a- Nick, N-I-C-K, N-I-C-K at A-L-R-P-R-A dot com. And please put Law Talk Radio in the subject line. Now back to Malini Bayana. Malini, would you like to uh, take some callers here? Do you have uh, any more thoughts you'd want to get out briefly? I, I think I'd love to hear from, from other callers uh, because, again, Certainly. There, there are so many others out there who are in my uh, situation, perhaps not, not with the extreme facts of my case, um, but who are facing challenges of uh, lack of resources, litigating in you know countries with diametrically opposite time zones and, and whatever Certainly. areas they are facing. So I, I would love to hear from some of the other Certainly. callers. Mm-hmm. We have a call. We have callers from. We have, uh, and we'll take callers uh, in the order. Or if uh, callers want to speak up, of course, your names uh, certainly are, are confidential. We have someone from a three one two area code, someone from seven seven zero, someone from a four seven nine area code, and two one four area code. Who'd like to go first? Hey Nick, this is Rex Arul. Go ahead, Rex. How are you doing, Rex? I'm doing fine, Nick. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to be on the show. Um, thanks for calling in, Rex. I know that your uh, article, you were recently quoted in an article. Um, could you share a little bit about that with us? Yes. Uh, it was actually an Associated Press story, and it was talking about how the parents and the officials here in the United States are pretty much uh, getting uh, disappointed and uh, irritated at some of these cross-country, uh, sorry, cross-across-the-world custody battles between Japan and India, where pretty much there are a lot of cases pending uh, uh, at this point in time. And it was actually an article written by David Grary, uh, uh, a senior Associated Press reporter, and when he elicited my opinion on my particular case, and in my case, it uh, has to do with a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter who was pretty much taken to India on what was supposedly a short trip, and both mom and daughter were supposed to come back uh, before Thanksgiving. But once my ex-wife landed in India, she pretty much filed for divorce in the court here in Atlanta and pretty much uh, you know, failed to bring the kid as was ordered by the court, uh, even for the hearing and ultimately even for handing over the kid. Now, the problem is she is a a, a pretty well-established corporate lawyer back in Chennai, India, and, you know, pretty much she is using uh, all the power and clout and, uh, uh, you know, the, the law that, that, that she has at her end to kind of like pretty much keep me guessing uh, and kind of like thumping her nose, I mean, at the nose of the U.S. courts here. So pretty much at this point in time, uh, you know, the court orders are violated and the kid is not here, although I hold uh, uh, full custody. So in that Very article, difficult. Very you know, difficult. 
The article, the article, and thank you, Rex, for sharing that with us. The article is titled, titled "Japan, comma, India: Press to Curb Child Abductions." U.S. fathers find they are have few options when their children are taken abroad by other parents. You can uh, search for that article that is posted at www.msnbc.msn.com. Again, the title: "Japan, India: Press to Curb Child Abductions." Thank you for your comments, Rex. Next caller, can you go ahead? Do we have another caller who wants to speak? Malini, do you want to uh, take over here and tell us a little bit more about your um, about the details of your case and what you hope to accomplish in your trip to India uh, next week? Well, what I'd like to do, um, Nick, if you don't mind, is uh, kind of segue from what Rex is talking about. As, as mentioned, I'm receiving calls um, from all over the nation and the world with parents who are um, in similar situations as Rex is and as I am. And I received a call yesterday um, from a gentleman who has his case pending before the High Court of Andhra Pradesh, in, in fact, in front of the same bench that my court, uh, my case was in front of uh, when we appealed the family court decision and um, also asked the High Court to interview the child because in India uh, the, the wishes of the child, uh, particularly after the child reaches a certain age, is, is should be taken into strong consideration. And um, most of the time, um, if the child indicates that he wishes to return to the uh, his country of origin and also the um, left-behind parent, that is honored. What happened in my case was a writ of habeas corpus was issued for the child to be um, brought to the court and returned into my care, which my ex-husband violated, in fact, sconded with him to Beirut, Lebanon, without leave of court either in India or the United States, as against orders um, that the child was not supposed to be removed from Hyderabad, and um, came up with all sorts of excuses as to why he was not able to return my son into my immediate custody and care as per the high court order. The uh, the high court, we, we filed contempt proceedings and the high court, uh, he did not show up, show up to court after the first of the year. This was back in December 2010, and, the, and they, my son was supposed to be returned um, no later than January 3rd into my care in the U.S. When we filed contempt proceedings, um, my ex and his lawyers did not show up in court, at which point a Form 1 was going to be issued um, if he didn't show up the following court date, which would essentially have been a warrant for his arrest. When that decision was handed down, um, he must have had a plant in, in the court because I received a call congratulating me from my, my Indian lawyers only to receive a call two hours later in the middle of the night um, that he had directly appealed that decision to the Supreme Court and obtained a stay. So uh, he obtained a stay on all high court proceedings once we got to the Supreme Court on our on our criminal contempt charges and his appeal of that, um, we then directly appealed the lower court family court decision to the Supreme Court of India um, under Article 32 of the Constitution, which is which is where we're at right now. We're before the Supreme Court of India on both matters. I received a call from a parent, a father who when his son was three months old, his wife went to India, to Hyderabad, um, 
under the pretense of a visit and never brought the child back. And so six months of trying to negotiate with her, I think it was about five or six months, and, and appealed to her to bring the child back, I went, you know, was to no avail, and so then he filed papers, and he actually has obtained a writ of habeas corpus before the same bench, in fact, in the High Court of Underpredation, he started researching my case, and I learned about the specific facts, and, and he called me, and um, he, too, has run out of resources, money, uh, between hiring attorneys here in the U.S., as well as attorneys in India. He actually has uh, one of the leading attorneys representing him right now, um, but they're having trouble enforcing the writ of habeas corpus in India, um, mother is refusing to turn over the child. He also has, similar to Rex's case right now, who, Rex is also trying to get the U.S. judgment in his favor enforced in Chennai, um, which is in Tamil Nadu, a different state. Uh, this gentleman caller, who wishes to, to be uh, remain anonymous at this point, said, um, my parents are being threatened, and I'm worried for their life because um, my son's uh, mother's family is saying if I don't drop the charges, you know, harm would come to my parents. Rex, I think that that's going on in your case as well, correct? That's right. Uh, right. Um, and I, too, uh, my ex-husband threatened my brother and sister-in-law in October of 2010, um, just prior to filing papers and after my demand for my son's return, uh, he basically said to them, called them up and said, if I challenged him on custody or did anything to harm him or his company or their reputation, he would bankrupt me to the point where my brother and sister-in-law, as well as my elderly retired parents, would have to provide for me financially. He has carried through on that threat. I am um, about a million dollars in debt right now with two creditors, uh, lawyers and uh, sympathizers and, you know, people who have come forward with money even just for living expenses because I've had to travel back and forth so much to India um, to, uh, you know, fight my case there and then here in the U.S. as well as uh, stay afloat in terms of my practice and, and manage my cases. So you see there's um, the, the tactic is to make it so expensive, so onerous, um, we all have jobs here in the United States. This gentleman cannot pack his bags and leave. Um, you know, he has to fund this litigation, number one, and he has, a, he has to have a job to come back to um, so that he can support his son. So the abductors take full advantage of this. And because, you know, in, in our culture as well as many cultures, both in America and in the U.S., our extended family mean everything to us, you know, parents, brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews. And so when they're threatened, um, you think once, twice, three times, and, you know, ten times, well, is this worth pursuing? What's going to happen to my family? And they're it's defenseless. Very, very difficult situation. Again, when people have so many dif so many difficulties, as Melanie is expressing, just in traveling back and forth and dealing with the different courts. We're going to pause for our, our second commercial break and then be back with more information, some of the stories as more people have been coming forward with similar tales as this story continues to uh, gain more and more support, not only here in Chicago and in the United States, but also abroad in India and uh, other places as well. 
Briefly, uh, in brief legal news, we want to uh, report on December 7th, 2010, 1.23 p.m. This was posted on the American Lawyers Daily publication. Title is Kraft Sues Starbucks uh, for over $500 million a year distribution deal. Again, posted by Claire Zillman, the American Lawyer Daily publication. The text reads, 12 years ago, Starbucks and Kraft entered into an agreement whereby Kraft would distribute Starbucks packaged coffees to grocery stores and other retailers. Now the coffee giant wants out of the relationship. But the Northfield, Illinois-based food conglomerate does not give up without a fight. On Monday, Kraft sued Starbucks in Manhattan Federal District Court seeking a preliminary injunction to block Starbucks from terminating the agreement. The reports uh, in the American Litigation Daily, a sibling publication. So again, you can see reports there at the AmLaw Litigation Daily. Further reading, the tension between companies has been building for several months. In August, Starbucks offered to buy its grocery store retailing business back from Kraft for $750 million, according to the Kraft complaint. The company's contract says Starbucks can exit the agreement if it pays Kraft the fair market value for their business, plus a premium of 35%, reports the New York Times. Analysts estimate fair market value could be more than $1 billion, says the New York Times. After Kraft refused the buyback offer in August, Starbucks lawyer Kellogg, Huber, Hansen, Todd, Evans, and Feigl sent a letter to Oct in October accusing Kraft of materially breaching the party's sales contract by failing to adequately promote the Starbucks brand as reported by the Daily Lit Reports. Um, so anyways, that is an article that you can find at the American Lawyer Daily Publication. Again, Kraft sues Starbucks over $500 million distribution annual distribution deal. Our uh, additional sponsor for the day, uh, our, for the second part of our program, is Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group. He is a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you should talk to if you want to get more clients now. Jim Thompson and his program will help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenue. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim has been a recurring guest on our Lawyer's Toolbox show, that's our Thursday program, regarding attorney marketing. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. Now back to our program. Again, anyone who has recently tuned in, you are listening to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. Telephone number to call in is area code 917-889-9732. Please press option 1 to be placed in the queue, and please also send your emails with comments to the show at nick, N-I-C-K, at ALRPRA.com, and please put Law Talk Radio in the subject line. Now back to our show with Malini Bayana, fighting for the return of her son by Christmas. Um, coming up on another trip to India with more court proceedings and recent media attention growing uh, both here in the U.S. and abroad. But again, our show especially appealing today to uh, media outlets here in the United States for the purpose of sharing this story with other people. And Malini, this is a pretty politically charged situation, isn't it? Absolutely, and, and to be perfectly frank with you, um, I have been cautioned by law enforcement by uh, lawyers, activists, politicians to take every precaution, security measure, in my particular case, because my life is at risk as well. The stakes are so high in my case with respect to um, my ex-husband and his family's and his, and his you know, company's interests, and um, you know, they're all worried uh, as to whether an accidental death might um, 
uh, might occur. And so I, it's been extremely distressing um, for me in the sense of every time I do go back to India, it's um, very important. I, I have stayed recently in a minister's home just so that I could have security and armed guards and that I would be safe and protected. And um, it's it's a, the mother of a childhood friend of mine who moved back to India after college. So thankfully, in recent months, I mean, I've had I've had that um, benefit and protection. But again, it's 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 very daunting for me to even move around right now um, in Hyderabad or any part of India. Um, SKS Microfinance has has um, sites in various uh, states and and cities, even in my hometown, Bangalore. Um, which is in the state of Karnataka, so um, it's it's been it's been a challenge. But you know, when your son's life is on the line, you do what it takes. The, and again, also in the in the interest of the public, it is precisely this type of um, oppression that I am seeking to fight against. Not only here in the United States and in Illinois, um, the legal, political, economic oppression and and frankly, violence that can be exacted against parents and children, um, which is, you know, exponentially far greater when you're dealing with an international uh, situation, and in countries where you may not have the political clout and, po- clout and power um, or the backing that my ex-husband, his family, and his company has, uh, they are directly linked with the ruling, you know, party. I am not accusing the Congress Party by any means of being uh, involved with this uh, or the leadership, but um, given how my case has has progressed or not progressed, (laughs) which is probably the more accurate statement, I I do believe and very reasonably believe, and and many um, organizations and and lawyers and and politicians share this belief, that my ex-husband has been unduly protected uh, despite... I have criminal cases pending against him in Hyderabad um, with home ministers having endorsed investigations. There are criminal uh, and contempt proceedings pending in the Supreme Court of India that have not even been taken notice of with very serious allegations, um, not only with respect to me being cut off from my my son. um, He has violated Skype orders both in India and the Supreme Court where there are weeks you know, weeks that go by that I have no contact and communication with my son, which has been psychologically very damaging for him as well. Um, I have had to obtain police protection because of monitoring, stalking, surveillance uh, during times when I was with my child where I did have uh, pockets and periods of, of parenting time during his breaks that were so traumatizing to him and to me. Um, that too, everybody's been turn, turning a blind eye to. No action has been taken. Investigations have been stalled. Um, the courts and law enforcement have just kind of gone about their business with no accountability. And I very strongly believe the reason my ex-husband wants to stay in India, have custody of my son in that country, where that's his power base, is because he can get away with all of this. Uh, he would have been in jail so fast in the United States for visitation uh, abuse, which is a, a criminal offense, um, as well as stalking. It's a criminal offense. Monitoring, surveilling is a criminal offense. In India, even if it's on the books as a crime, 
he can manage um, his way out of it. What oh, is power, the money, power, power, and influence? Power and influence, I was just going to say. Uh, we do have a couple of uh, callers who just dialed in. Um, callers, uh, you may please uh, keep your name uh, confidential. If some callers would like to uh, go ahead and uh, say their piece, please go ahead at this time. Any callers? No? Um, th there is one clarification um, that I received as an email from uh, this gentleman who whose story I just talked about. And, and, and I want to say, um, Nick, and I think I've expressed this to you in private, uh, given my situation and given my lack of bandwidth um, in terms of, you know, time um, to kind of field all of these calls and with with parents who are just so desperate, as I was and have been for the past year, and, and many people have helped me along the way, I, I by no means have done this alone, and so I, I did take time um, to listen to them and, and to listen to their stories. Rex Arula was one of them who I think I also anonymously talked about his case during my first broadcast, and then once his hearing was complete, he felt comfortable coming forward and talking about the details of his case, and he's been so proactive, writing op-ed articles, um, you know, cooperating with the media. So I do want to applaud him um, for doing this, and I am certain that the uh, other gentleman who called me at some point when it's less risky for him to come forward because he does have proceedings pending um, before the court. And, and in India, actually, um, in certain cases, discussing uh, pending proceedings can be considered contempt of court. Um, so, you know, I, I don't blame him at this point for not uh, revealing his identity and, and coming forward. But he did just email me. Um, his now ex-wife apparently... Um, went to India in September 2009, and again, he had attempted to work things out with her without any court action, um, and then he filed for divorce and custody in April 2010 in the U.S. Um, so, and, and he also, I had occasion to speak with him today, and one of the things he said to me, which was so poignant, um, he, he said, you know, I, I'm reading about your case and you're a lawyer and you still don't have your child back and, and I, I looked at your pleadings. Even in the high court, I'm in front of the same bench and, and I have a very good attorney. Um, in fact, his attorney is also one of the attorneys who's helping me um, further my criminal cases in Hyderabad, a very, very well-respected, excellent attorney. You know, in India, uh, under under these circumstances, with money, power, and influence, you can, you can have the best attorney on the face of the earth, and you're not going to get anywhere if the bench has been influenced on some level, or you have a, a person of power and influence that that they don't want to go against. Um, and so he said to me, you know, if if it's a question of money, I'm just going to have to give up because I, I'm tapped out. With, between my U.S. proceedings and my Indian proceedings. Mm. And then he even called me today, and, and I won't disclose the state in which his case is currently pending, um, again, for so could, I can protect his identity. But he said, you know, and I got a call from my lawyer and said that I have to speak to the district attorney in that state to to work with the U.S. government and, um, and maybe issue a warrant for arrest uh, through the proper channels and having Interpol get involved, the Department of Justice, and he said, but, you know, I, I, I can't afford another attorney. And and this, this gentleman didn't know, he's an immigrant here, his green card is pending, he didn't know that a district attorney would be free of charge. 
Um, so he didn't even bother to call the district attorney. So you see um, people who don't understand the legal system, and, and because I'm a lawyer, uh, and even still, I didn't know the resources that were available to me through the U.S. State Department until well into the game. Um, and, and they, too, and I, and I would like to talk about how little power they, too, have and the U.S. Embassy has in these foreign nations. Let's, do, I, that. I felt, Let's do that I shortly felt, after the Melanie, let's do that shortly after the break, just because we do have to be kind to our generous sponsors. Um, We'll talk a little bit about that just in one moment. So just wanted to share with you uh, from our final sponsor, but quickly before, we'll have some law practice management resources because, because again, our agency is a law practice management agency, and while this is a special broadcast and a very special uh, event, this is a law practice management radio program generally. So our first law practice management resources is from the ABA Books, ababooks.org. It is about Google for Lawyers, the essential search tips and productivity tools. In its decades since its launch, Google has become synonymous with searching on the internet. This book in this deck well in this book the unleashing the power of Google as a search engine as the provider of free and low cost tools that can help any attorney compete with large firms and their research and technology budgets. This book introduces novice Internet searchers to the diverse collection of information locatable through Google. This book discusses the importance of including effective Google searching as part of a lawyer's due diligence and cites case law that mandates that lawyers should use Google and other resources available on the Internet where it is applicable for purposes of due diligence. For intermediate and advanced users, the book unlocks the power of various advanced search strategies and hidden search features they might otherwise be aware of. So again, ababooks.org. It's called Google for Lawyers, the essential search tips and productivity tools. Secondly, if you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine for up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois, also check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. Visit attorneysintransition.com. I also write a weekly advice column for Attorneys in Transition and feel strongly about the many benefits offered by the Law Bulletin Publishing Company. Thirdly, again, as we mentioned earlier in the show, the Law Practice Management School, sponsored by ALRPRA Incorporated, has classes starting January 5th, 2010. You can email nick, N-I-C-K, at ALRPRA.com. For more information, please include the Law Practice Management School in your subject line. All right, Melanie, um, real quickly, our last sponsor before we get back to you is from George Finder. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Located nationwide, credit damage experts website is full of resources. You can visit that website by going to www.creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. There is a video on that site that does explain, uh, George Finder himself explains many of the things uh, that are so useful to people. So again, creditdamageexpert.com. Again, for anyone just tuning into the show, you can call us by dialing 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the caller queue. Now back to Melanie Bayana. Melanie, I'm sorry I had to cut you off for our sponsor break you were just starting to get into some more detail go ahead well and again um you know talking about uh the gentleman who i've been speaking with over the past couple of days he's he's very concerned on a, on a number of levels um he filed for custody and divorce almost 
after seven months of uh, his his son being in India. So he's he's worried about UCCJEA um, standards. Should should a parent be rewarded um, for taking a child out of the country and staying there past the six month mark, which you know is probably something that was very in, intentional, and then a parent be punished for not accessing the court system and maybe not even knowing that he should or she should access the court system and, and file papers prior to the six-month mark um, when, when, when the child was uh, taken out of the country or detained out of the country uh, without permission. So and it's a very legitimate question. So he's concerned, um, you know, uh, can she now say that India has jurisdiction because it's become the home state of the child? Second is um, in terms of violating all these court orders, and in India, I mean, you have one billion people. Um, talk about dockets being full, full. And not only does it seem like they're, they're, even though child custody cases are supposed to be expedited, even in the most extreme cases, for example, my son's case, where his life and limb currently is, is on the line, um, cases are just delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, or clerks are paid to conveniently misplace the file. I, I mean, you just, it, the horror stories you hear, and in the meantime, every month and every year that goes by, um, it, there, there's brainwashing of the child. There's The child may start to accept or acquiesce to the status quo, even against his or her will, because they, they feel kind of a learned helplessness. Um, it, it advantages the parent, because in countries like India, at least, um, Outside of the jurisdictional issues, the courts can, if they wanted to, rule on the best interests of the child and decide, well, you know, this child's been here for X number of months and years and we we don't want to disrupt the status quo and, you know, the abducting parent can provide for this child wealth and and materially and educationally and and now um, he or she has created bonds and relationships with family, friends, even household help in India, mm-hmm. it's commonplace to leave children in the hands of household and hired help in lieu of parental involvement and nurturing and care, and it's perfectly acceptable. It's almost a status thing, um, and, and it's almost um, uh, exalted uh, and, and an accepted form of parenting um, because the parents are, are busy provi- providing for their, you know, their their children and their and all the rest of their future generations, and, and that is what is respected. Um, now, turning to so, so I have linked this gentleman with Rex Arul, uh because their cases are most similar in terms of the fact patterns. One of the things I said to him was, um, "Your situation and my situation and the facts are a little different," because he was concerned about perhaps an adverse ruling in the Supreme Court, um, which would then go against him in the High Court for, for me. Um, and I said to him, well, in my situation, my child was in India. Um, we were temporarily residing there on a trial basis, so it's different in your case. Your, your now ex-wife took the child out of the country and detained him um, during a period where you weren't even, uh, there were no proceedings um, pending in, in the U.S. at the time. So every case is, is fact-specific, and so... Um, I didn't want to alarm him in terms of what was going on in my case, so I did have him speak with Rex Arul, and, and we I connected the two, and I'm hoping Rex is going to, you know, kind of hold his hand as a fellow brother 
and and guide him. And I think Rex, you have agreed to do that, right? <laughs> Absolutely, Melanie. Definitely, yeah. we are all in this together. So I will definitely be in touch. One um, of the things that I, if I may, one of the things that I always heard growing up was that it takes a village, and it's certainly true. Um, a lot of people have worked together on this effort to gain more media attention and more attention generally to the story and plight not only of uh, Attorney Molly Bayana and her son, but also Rex Arul and all the other parents out there who are experiencing such extreme difficulty and prejudice with the system that is so difficult to work with, and especially when you have non-Hague Convention countries where uh, people are almost uh, inclined to find find refuge and hide out. It almost seems to me that uh, going to India is a, is a good place to hide. Um, Malini, can you comment on that? Yes, and, and I, I want to I also point out that this is also happening in Hague Convention countries. When you look at the Goldman case and the, and the, um, the situation in Brazil, it took him eight years to get his child back. I, I think it was about eight years. And he didn't get any media attention until mother died and stepfather and and mother's family were, were intent on keeping the child there against um you know sending him back to the biological father so by the time you navigate through the court system um you know 8 years later and god, god knows how much money and time and emotion he had to spend um to get his son back so really on some level this this is an international issue irrespective of whether it's a Hague or non-Hague convention country when you have uh, money, influence, or power on, on one side of the coin, and um, the left-behind parent or the, the aggrieved parent does not, um, or logistical problems. If, in the case, um, in the article, David Crary really illuminates all of these issues and quotes from the U.S. State Department. Um, he, he characterizes uh, countries like Japan and, and India as lawless states uh, with respect to this particular issue. And uh, what could be worse than losing your own child? Um, so is the, is the United States doing enough or these other countries doing enough to protect children? Because they are the greatest casualties. I mean, outside of what the parents' trauma and distress um, may involve the children, uh, it could be far-reaching short-term, long-term damage. Um, for these children that they may never recover from, and hopefully they will uh, once the protective factors are are um, put in place. And the final thing I really wanted to mention, Nick, was um, the the misconception that the U.S. State Department and the U.S. Embassy in these countries have the ability to intervene and assist in these cases. Um, the the Office of Children's Issues was a department that was established by Congress. They are doing great things and making great efforts to uh, try and get children back to the United States who have been illegally abducted or, or detained in other countries. However, the U.S. Embassy, they are on foreign soil. They are subject to the laws and the orders of that particular foreign jurisdiction. Um, particularly in the case of, for, for example, my case where uh, my ex-husband is a U.S. citizen, I'm a U.S. citizen, my son is a naturally born citizen, um, they cannot in any way, shape, or form um, intervene, interfere, take sides. Um, so they they have to work with both parties. 
Um, they certainly are there to conduct welfare and whereabouts checks when there are situations like mine. In my case, I was able to, in a very short period of time, uh, request three welfare and whereabouts checks, one because uh, my son was being uh, uh, withheld from me and uh, I did not have contact and communication. The abducting parent does not have to cooperate. Um, My ex-husband did not cooperate for months on end. Um, Finally, upon strong suggestion from the U.S. Embassy, U.S. State Department, he allowed it. The second time, um, they did come back with a second request because um, during my time with him in October, I learned of um, his exposure to the suicides in the villages on TV while he was with his father. Um, They talked about SKS microfinance as well as Victor McCula being linked to this, which would traumatize him to no end. He uh, disclosed to me that he had suicidal thoughts and ideations of jumping off of cliffs. Um, He had been sleepwalking, and I was very concerned about his mental and emotional well-being and, and, um, you know, potential uh, copycat kind of suicide attempts. Um, Now I was able to request a third welfare and whereabouts check due to the Naxalite threats. But again, my case is very extreme. Generally, the U.S. State Department can only conduct, or the U.S. Embassy, a welfare and whereabouts check once every six months. So you may have six months that go by where a parent um, has no idea how his child is faring or her child is faring in the care of the abductor. And even still, the abductor does not have to cooperate. Even with these terrorist threats, I said, isn't there something that the U.S. government can do? This is a natural-born citizen. He has a right to his nationality. He has a right to his citizenship. He has a right to be free from, you know, terrorist threats in a foreign jurisdiction. What I was told was that because he's a minor, they are that much more powerless because they cannot intervene, interfere or intervene where one parent has papers that say he is the guardian in that foreign jurisdiction and he has all custodial rights and authority, even if it's a a temporary interim order, which to me was was so counterintuitive um, because obviously my son has no voice, no choice, no defense as against a parent who is clearly, in my opinion, uh, you know, doesn't care whether he lives or dies so long as he has him in his, his possession and care and is parading around using him as political propaganda and a trophy that, that he has won and is hell-bent on, on winning in the end, whether he's dead or alive. And, and so, you know, what can we do as a nation, as, as an international community to protect these innocents? You know, the protection of the innocent against parents who are destroying their, their or, or putting them at risk mentally, emotionally, physically, uh, psychologically, spiritually, and you name it. And this is why I think people like Rex and myself and, and this other gentleman today, we, we really need to come together and um, even even people of other countries. I have a friend and colleague, um, her name is Sakina Carbide. She's an immigration attorney um, on Devon, and an excellent immigration attorney, if I may add, um, uh, who I refer many of my clients to. Uh, she handled a case where um, a, a, a father's 
sons were abducted to Pakistan. And she uh, has worked very hard uh, in the past uh, four to six months to help him uh, retrieve his sons and has taken a number of steps. And it sounds like she's been successful and, and the children are going to be returned. But um, but for her assistance and intervention as a lawyer, uh, this this father who apparently would call her up on a daily basis and just would break down, um, yeah. you know, just distraught over the fact that, what, am I ever going to see my children again? You know, when will they be returning to my care? And and she knew of my case as well, and she, she has been in constant touch with me, very, very sympathetic and empathetic to my situation. Her name uh, again was? Sakina Carbide. And you have her contact information? Yes, yeah, C-A-R-B-I-D-E and Sakina, S-A-K-I-N-A. And she's an immigration attorney um, that practices on Devon Avenue, which is sort of like Little India in Chicago. So, mm-hmm. again, I, I would highly recommend her um, and, and do refer many of my clients to her. I actually um, met her because I had a case against her <laughs> um, years ago and uh, that we were able to resolve and um, keep out of court uh, is in the best interest of both of our clients. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Speaking of court, uh, if I could jump in really quickly, I just want to uh, make a th- make a thank you statement to the law firms who have been so uh, so nice to participate in uh, this protracted litigation. First, we've got Grund and Lovett here in Chicago. Grund and Lovett is one of the nation's preeminent family law firms, combining legal, commercial, and psychosocial sophistication with a distinguished track record. Website is www.grundlaw.g.r.u.n.d.l.a.w dot com um and we want to thank them for their efforts with Melanie uh, as her counsel in the US we also want to thank the law firm of and I I might butcher this name Gokali and can you say that name Melanie Sure Gokali uh, Gokali and company Thank you. They represent clients who need legal aid and representation in the judicial system in the best manner for best possible resolve using their elaborate knowledge bank, case law research, teams, techniques, effective courtroom work, and case approach procedures within the prescribed ethical framework. And they are located in India. Uh, They're located in Hyderabad. And their website is www.com. Council.in, so C-O-U-N-S-E-L.in. I also wanted to make a statement. This is coming from us at ALRPRA directly, not from Melanie, but we would like to thank any of those who would like to be passionate contributors to offer their financial support to this protracted legal battle. If you would like to make a donation to the legal effort, donations can be sent directly to the attention of Marvin Levitt, M-A-R-V-I-N, Levitt, L-E-A-V-I-T-T, of Grun and Levitt, uh, or credit card payments can be made over the phone by contacting Terry Thompson, controller at the address and phone number uh, listed below. Donors should write contribution or contribution. I'm sorry to Melanie Bayana's legal fees in the memo of their checks to ensure the proper credit card account. Um, the ad. I don't, Melanie. I don't have their uh, their address with me. Do you know it off offhand? Otherwise, they can always find that from me. Um, their, their website www.grunlaw.com. Sure, that has. And Nick, I, I really appreciate that that appeal. Um, I I do, I'm very grateful. I'm, I'm also extremely grateful to my attorneys who are carrying me. I mean, Grund and Levitt on, on a half a million dollars um, in outstanding legal fees uh, because they are too so committed to this cause and and are passionate about 
this issue, and um, I am forever grateful. And that goes for uh, Gokulé Billowleaker and Company as well, um, whose entire family. And I, and I have to put a plug in for um, Millen Gokulé's wife, uh, whose, whose father actually founded this company, um, and she too, and she and her son, who is in law school at, at, at um, currently in India, uh, they've been tremendous support um, at a personal and professional level, and, and a family of sorts. Um, in India for me. So uh, really these people um, are, are working day and night on, on my son's behalf and my, my behalf and not getting paid and taking uh, enormous hits um, and also uh, taking time away from their paying clients because this issue is so important to them. Certainly, certainly. I also want to let you know out there, listening audience, that I did post the article, Japan, India, Press to Curb Child Abductions. That's the article in which Rex Rule was quoted. That article is posted on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash A-L-R-P-R-A. You can also find Law Talk Radio on Facebook by searching the words Law Talk Radio to find the link for our Facebook page with the Consumers Law Journal and Lawyers Toolbox programs. Um, we do, again, have a few callers on the line. Callers, if you have any final comments, or Melanie Bayana, if you have any final comments, we'd like to know what people can do to help. What can we do to help? The, the best thing we can do to help is to help each other. Um, it, it's amazing to me, and Nick, I, th- I think I, I use the analogy of the, the baby that's left on your doorstep. You know, you might have a, a hundred babies inside already that you're caring for, but do you allow this one baby to be neglected or frozen to death, you know, uh, or do you take this baby in? And and I'll, I'll go back to Rex's original call to me as well as this other gentleman that just called me yesterday. Um, truly, I, I don't have a moment to breathe these days, especially because I need to be on a plane in, in, in a few days um, back to fight fight my case in India. Um, but, but when I saw how many people came forward at, at, at such great inconvenience and cost, um, uh, to either themselves, their their, their jobs, their families, um, looking at me and my son's situation, even strangers uh, that came forward to to help us, assist us, provide resources, protect us. I I could not turn either Rex away or this other gentleman, and um, and little did I know that we would become allies and um, and and partner to to help others. And I do believe we can turn our trials into treasures and that we're all being used as the Lord's instruments. Um, and, and as you said, you know, it takes a village, it takes a community. So the best thing we can do is help each other, uh, take each other and listen to each other, you know, take each other out for dinner, uh, hold hold each other's hands, provide, you know, the money or, or, or assistance or child care, or whatever it is that you need, um, political support, political advocacy, media contacts, um, sharing these these articles and these um, the, these Law Talk Radio um, shows with others on Facebook or forwarding email links to your friends, family, colleagues, anybody that you know to spread the word um, and, and to come together because really our children, it, it's really about our children and, and we need to save and help our children. Uh, thank you so much for those kind words. Any comments from any of our other callers? Uh, yes, Nick, this is Rex Arul. Um, I just wanted to kind of like quote a couple of lines from one of the most landmark judgments that were given by Justice Dingra of the Delhi High Court, which is exactly what is being challenged right now. And, you know, if the Supreme Court of India is going to rule on this case one way or the other, that could pretty much 
you know, seal or emancipate the fates of uh, Ms. Monica Bayana, myself, and the other gentlemen, uh, where he pretty much directly addresses the question of what is known as ordinary residence. The, 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 the two words pretty much means a lot to Ms. Monica Bayana and also this anonymous gentleman. And the judge pretty much said, a unilateral decision taken by one parent uh, to migrate to India along with the child, also a U.S. citizen, would not give jurisdiction to the district judge within whose jurisdiction to entertain a guardian petition the child is to live in future. Ordinary residence does not mean a residence which will become ordinary residence in future because it is forced on the child by either the mother or father. If this is allowed, then any of the two parents who had problem with other spouse would come on holiday to India with the child, give a notice, that henceforth he or she has decided to live in India and deprive not only the other spouse of the custody and other rights over the child just by removing him or her to India, but also the country of original jurisdiction over the child. That would amount to taking away the rights of the parents by a deliberate act of removal and terminating the jurisdiction of lawful court by a unilateral act of one of the parents. I consider that such a proposition to invoke jurisdiction would be contrary to the basic principles of private international law. And Max, if I, if I may just, that's an excellent point. That is the crux of the issue. Um, and and I, I would add not only the rights of the parents, the rights of the child, um, you know, and, and, and actually primarily focus on the rights of the child, again, to, to citizenship, nationality, what have you, their, their original home state. Um, it, and the test really is and should be did the left-behind parent ever give up their residence uh, or citizenship of, of whatever state or country that they were originally residing? And as Rex said, um, you know, an unsuspecting parent would allow their child to leave the country with, with the potential child abductor, and, you know, the six-month mark hits, and, and again, is the abductor to be rewarded? Uh, for uh, surreptitiously taking the child out of the country under, under false pretenses, and then and the left-behind parent, as the State Department calls us, um, punished huh. for not having taken, you know, either no, not knowing that they should have taken or not having taken action earlier because they're trying to work things out mm-hmm. without involvement of courts. Such a such an ongoing such an ongoing debate with the courts and again um not only the courts in the in the US we wait to hear from the uh, Illinois Supreme Court on the decision of current law which is persuasive in other states and binding controlling law here in in Illinois when do we expect to hear more about that Melanie We're still waiting Nick um <laughs> we're we're hoping we're going to hear soon um and in the meantime, I will be, you know, the best case scenario would be that my son is immediately released based on the exigent circumstances in India, and we are uh, in the process of, of filing uh, certain applications to make that happen. Um, however, and, and one of the things that is of great concern to me um, is in the event, and, and again, I'm hoping for a Christmas miracle that that does happen, the Illinois decision still stands. And I've been talking to my lawyers about how we can potentially get that, um, you know, overturned because, again, because of the far-reaching implications on parents and children everywhere, locally, within our state, within our nation, and internationally. And, and we're trying to find out if 
that's even possible. Otherwise, this is binding law. You think it's bad law? A hundred percent bad law, and and I think it's again going to open up a Pandora's box for increased child abductions from the United States. Yeah, it um, sounds like our court got it wrong. Yes, and 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 so what happens? So I get my son back. Does this mean that the Supreme Court will not hear our our case because our case is over, or or do we still pers- you know pursue it so that so that this our case is one of first impression, um, and it's one of uh, you know. Um, one of concern for everybody. And so do we still pursue it and have the Supreme Court of Illinois have the final word um, to fix the mess that our case has has created? And and frankly, in my opinion, due to the um, actions of my ex-husband and 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 jeopardizing parents and children everywhere. Right. And my thoughts, my final commenting thoughts, are that we live in a world today where global uh residences are no longer a thing of mystery and and allure these are this is commonplace uh for many folks especially from countries that are are growing in in further developing countries where there are more business travelers back and forth and people with dual citizenship or dual residencies this is not something that's going that's this is not an anecdotal story uh this is not something only of of high finance and high political uh, power this is something that happens to many people this is something that is not only a problem between the US and India this is a problem with all countries globally as people travel and have different countries and different nations with different treaties, different laws, different religions, different uh, customs, different practices. And the one thing that we all need to remember at the end of the day, these are children on the line, and children are very influenced uh, at young ages. Um, you know, the children within their formative years should never be subject to awful battles, and it's just unfortunate how uh, some people have mishandled and taken advantage of the system and taken advantage of their power, uh, and it's it's just, it's a very heart-wrenching tale. I am fully devoted to expanding outreach and information to people about this cause, because there are people out there, if anyone's listening and you're just hearing about this, you're not alone. Many of the people who battle these issues are not alone. Malini, your final comments before we wrap up and say goodbye? Yes, and I, I thank you for that last comment. One one other thing I would like to point out is that not only in terms of differences in language, culture, religion, et cetera, um, there are disparate laws in these jurisdictions. There are disparate criteria as to what is in the best interest of the child. Um, in India, you you have laws. That there's the Hindu Marriage Act, the, the you know the Muslim Marriage Act, and which does not exist in the United States. So the question becomes: Here you have. Um, parents and children and families who have either filed for divorce or have proceedings um, or live in this country based on, you know, their protections, um, whether they're constitutional protections or state law protections. In in the U.S., family law is, is specific to state law, um, whereas in, in India it's federal. Um, but in, in America, certainly no one parent has has an advantage over in a custody battle based on their their gender or religion um so that would violate our equal protection clause um so and and in india the best interests of the child you the standards are you know different um in terms of what a court might look at 
um, in determining who should have guardianship and custody and some of the things that I talked about, you know, affluence, wealth, uh, comfort of the child. But I will say um, in the Guardians Act, the the Guardians and Wards Act, uh, there's commentary that uh, indicates, uh, for example, and and it's interesting that they they refer to the mother, um, but they say that the the very fact that the mother has no income or the mother's parents uh, do not have the ability to support the child shall not be a factor in any guardianship uh, proceeding because of the sacred relationship and that nothing can substitute the the love of a mother towards a child and the nurturance. Um, and interestingly enough, in my case, and again, this is why I'm saying money, power, and influence has, has played a strong factor, uh, despite this commentary, despite the the um, uh, th- this value in India um, that's on the books, I have had exactly three periods of visitation with my son parenting time, February break, April break, which was, you know, Easter, October break, with months and months that have gone by where my son and I have had no physical contact whatsoever. And that is contrary to the the culture and practices of the Indian courts. So um, I spoke during the last broadcast about the legal term race ipsa loquitur, the thing speaks for itself. If money, power, and influence, you know, either protecting my ex because of his status and stature or, you know, some influence over the various benches were not present, this would not be happening. Very, very difficult situation. So many people involved. Thank you, Melanie Bayana. Thank you, Rex Arul. Thank you to all of our uh, listeners and all of our participants and everyone who's helped in this in this battle. I'd also like to thank our sponsors for today. We'd like to thank the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Secondly, we'd like to thank the Lawyer Market. Thirdly, we'd like to thank Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group. And finally, we'd like to thank credit damage expert George Finder. Two upcoming shows. Uh, well, just one upcoming show I want to tell you about this Thursday, December 9th at 3 p.m. Central. Business coach Mary Erlane will appear to, on our Lawyer's Toolbox program to talk about the five hidden mistakes often made by executives and law firm managers. By way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests and callers on the show does not give rise to attorney-client relationships. If you have further questions, you are always encouraged to consider consult with an attorney in a professional area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. With this show today, I wanted to make a special note to uh, anyone out there who is experiencing problems. Again, seek the help of a professional. Do not engage in self-help. Um, do not kidnap or otherwise abduct your child. Things that may seem to be uh, in, in a period of desperation can cause you so many difficult problems down the road. So again, there are proper channels to go through. There are embassies. There are lawyers to help you. Please contact Find the Right Lawyer. If you don't know who to call, call any lawyer and and start down the path of locating someone who can help you. Finally, I wanted to mention that these Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With guests and listeners located 
located nationwide. We appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALR PRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time. Thank you, Molly and Rex, for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank okay. You. Thank you, Molly. Bye. All right, Molly. Safe travels back to India. I will be in contact with you certainly, uh, and look forward to hearing positive results. And thank you to our all other callers and listeners. And again, anyone who does hear this show, please share this, whether the permanent link is uh, via Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, or simply email or drop it in a blog. We appreciate your opportunity to share the information. We thank our callers and guests. This Nick, is Nick I, I also yeah, I also wanted to thank you as being uh, this guardian angel on earth for all all of our children that we're trying to protect because with, without right. without you providing us with a voice, um, you know, and, and a channel uh, to to get these issues out to the public, uh, really, you have been a godsend in my life and my son's life, and I think um, Rex's and, and many many others to come. So thank you to ALRPRE Incorporated and to you individually. Um, so. I just wanted to make that comment. I appreciate that so much, and it is it does this does give us the opportunity to again record broadcasts and share them with other people so they can have the benefit and learn and share as well. So um, it's all working towards the greater goal, the greater good. So that's why we do this show twice a week. It does take a significant amount of time to prepare, and it is very worthwhile. And it's a comments like that and the appreciation of listeners and guests that keeps us going as well. As thank you to our sponsors. Um, that that's why we do the show. So, Melanie, thank you again. Have a great day, Nick. All right, thanks. Thank you, Nick. Okay. Bye, Melanie. Thank you, Mike.